If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Your Booked, the podcast for literary nosy parkers. I'm Daisy Buchanan, your host and the author of The Sisterhood, A Love Letter to the Women Who Shaped Me, published by Headline and out now. It's a book for women and those who love them, and it's about women and how our relationships with each other make our lives brilliant and sometimes impossible. I'm the eldest of six girls and my sisters are the only women I would kill for and the only women I have ever wanted to kill. The Sisterhood is available from bookshops nationwide and buying it is the very best way that you can support the podcast. I'd also like to tell you about a book I've contributed to, Comfort Zones, an anthology of essays written by women writers tackling unfamiliar ground. It's published by Jigsaw, edited by Sonda Intel, all proceeds going to Women for Women UK. The book features many brilliant women, including old booked alumni, Pornabelle and Elizabeth Day, talking about subjects they wouldn't usually tackle. I've written an essay called On Toughening Up, and it's about how we're all much more resilient than we realise. Today's guest writes beautifully and brilliantly about womanhood and balancing our soft, vulnerable bits with our harder and spikier parts. Holly Bourne is a superstar YA writer whose first adult novel, How Do You Like Me Now?, was one of the biggest hits of last year, published to huge critical acclaim. It's out in paperback on May the 30th, and I need you to stop listening and pre-order it immediately if you haven't already, because that's how good it is. It's dark, light, caustically funny and utterly heartbreaking, alarmingly perceptive on the universal truths of womanhood, framed by the particular problems of the age. Holly is training to be a counsellor, and we talked about personal, professional and fictional pain, obsessive collecting and problematic feminist faves. The first thing I want to ask you about is that I count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen copies of To Kill a Mockingbird and two copies of Ghost at a Watchman by Harper Lee. <laughs> yeah, it's my weird little collection. <laughs> when did you first read To Kill a Mockingbird? At school, actually. I had a really amazing English teacher um, who loved the book so much that you just it was contagious you just loved the book he would just be like listen to the sentence listen to the sentence and like jump up on the desk and and yeah I just loved it dearly I did really well in that particular paper because I loved the book so much and then I started um collecting English language editions it's this weird little thing I do I always look 
in charity shops for ones I don't have yet. This is amazing. Is this, is this an American? Yeah, that's from America. Version. It's an imprint called Paw Prints. And it's, it's almost... It's more than A5, isn't it? It's yeah. to go in the, your pocket. Basically. But it's, it's pint-sized. But it's very thick. And the print's yeah, quite small. Very small. My favourite is um, this one. So me and my sister went to the same school. And she's a lot brighter and harder working than I am. And, um, sure that's but because true. she was we did both did to Kenwakamud mm-hmm. I inherited her GCSE oh, copies this wow. is our GCSE copy and um, this is all her incredible notes because you used to be able to She's just annotate the crap out of your books and take them into exams I don't know if you're allowed to do that anymore but um, my favourite thing here is good luck stay oh. calm think B you can only do your best <laughs> leave it up to fate now you will get what you were meant to <laughs> That, did did like she my, write that for you? Or did no, someone she wrote write that, that for her? No, she, she wrote, wrote that. it for herself. Oh. <laughs> like for when she was in the exam to calm herself down. So it's my, my favourite bit of marginalia ever. And yeah, she's got like all the numbers of the important bits of the book. Oh, that's fab. So what have you got here? Um, 74 Fire, 39 mm-hmm. Booze Presents, mm-hmm. 118 Real Courage. Was it hard then to have your own kind of vision of it and your own interpretation of it when you were working with this text that had so much of her in there already yeah I find that about marginalia it really changes your reading experience I rarely read things on kindle um, but when I do I my first thing I do is take the highlights off because I hate that I hate that when you're reading a text and then you see a highlight you're like oh that's important but you're like would I have thought it was important Mm. unless I saw somebody else highlighted they should do a thing where you take it off and at the end of the book you go reveal highlights and it just brings them up and you could see if it was the same bits that like and clicked you know, with you. When it's a real highlight and when it's someone being a bit ham-fisted on their thumbs because <laughs> I'm probably always sort of highlighting random words just because I'm not very good at using a Kindle. <laughs> really? You're just like, oh, the. What's the last book you read that you had no kind of prior knowledge of, very little prior knowledge of? Oh, I think that's impossible to say when it comes to public when you work in publishing because yeah. you just always get every book comes with a blurb and a sheet. Mm. I saw one recommended actually. It's on my special shelf. It made it to my special shelf. Um, I saw it mentioned once, just that it was really good. Um, Love's Executioner and Other Tales of Psychotherapy oh. by Irvin D. Yalom. And nobody else I know had read it. Um, I've never heard of that and it looks fantastic. Absolutely love it. It's just a very, he's quite famous. I know this now. At the time I was like, oh, I'll just read this a psychologist. And it's just short stories based on some of his clients' journeys. My favourite opening line is amazing. I do not like to work with patients who are in love. Oh, I know. that's good. <laughs> perhaps it's because of envy. I too crave enchantment. Perhaps it is because love and psychotherapy are fundamentally incompatible. <laughs> so good read oh, it that's great <laughs> I know you know you write so beautifully and brilliantly about mental health has that book been useful for that or did you read it purely for kind of pleasure and interest it's a mixture of both I do read a lot of books about mental health psychotherapy different self-help books I just find it fascinating um as a just a reader and as a human and I'm doing my counselling training at the moment. Oh, yes, um, I've started to do evening classes and how to be a counsellor. It's going to take like four years. But I just come back from every 
class, like, oh my lord, and like telling my boyfriend about Freud, even though he's trying to go to sleep. Um, and so I just find it very fascinating. And then I think that informs my writing because I'm just so fascinated in the behind the scenes of human beings. I was just like looking in the tube when you're kind of getting the central line into London and everyone just outwardly mostly looks to have their shit together oh. basically and they're kind of in their suits and in their clothes and reading a magazine or a book or listening to it. and I'm just like I think I know enough about people now to be like what crap is going on in your brain today that you're just having to like wade through like what horrible wave of life has hit you that you're struggling with like what sad memories have you not processed yet <laughs> just like very judgmentally just like find it fascinating how we outwardly present so differently from how what we're like in our heads or how I think most people are in their heads like there are lots of mentally completely healthy people out there I think lots of us do have a hard time quite a lot of the time but it's because I think about you know the tube and the cliches about all oh, London's terrible nobody looks at each other nobody talks to each other but when you think of the mass of humanity in that space you know that's your only option surely because if you started not ignoring each other then there would just be too much to process or for anyone to cope with <laughs> that's probably why I'm so tired <laughs> just whenever I go into the city it's because I haven't learned to close off I only moved to London less than six months ago oh really and it's and I was living in quite a quiet country living lived near a wood could go on a walk and not bump into anyone for an hour and a half and so it's still this mass of humanity, as you said, is still just startling to me. And so I just still like getting in the front of the bus. You know, you get to drive the bus when yes. you sit in the top of it. And I just got Have my... you been on the DLR? Oh, that was one of the best moments of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the DLR, it drives itself. It's crazy. You can drive it. Yeah, you're just like... Phew. But I just stare out the window and I'm just looking at all these people and all the storylines that they're having in that moment. And all these, like, I'm like, this is mad. And I'm like trying to turn to everyone else at the bus going, look at what's going on outside the window. And they're all just like zoning it out. Um, probably because they've learned that it's overstimulating, whereas I'm still just like, ah! and, then, and then find that I'm crying for no reason and I have to go to bed at eight o'clock. It's probably good. <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to ask you this, but if you could um, have as a, a counselling uh, patient or client a fictional character, who would you most like to work with? What's the main guy? What's the catcher in the rye guy? Oh. Holden Caulfield. Holden Caulfield. That would be interesting. Could you get through? What like, he would, that would be. He would have to be ready to put the work in. Mm. That's the thing with counselling. Like, it only works if you're ready to embrace the power of a therapeutic relationship, really. And I don't know if he'd be ready. Um, but if he was, then that would be fascinating. I mean, maybe not at the time of writing, but maybe, <laughs> you know, give it a few Later years on. and come back to a future Holden. Because I guess that's the trouble, isn't it, with so many books, is it's the the people who who need the work are interesting and people who are very kind of mentally healthy and together and their stories are already kind of concluded. They're not necessarily the characters and the stories that we engage with yeah and but that's how story works i just it's made it again onto my special shelf sorry it's all right i'm just yanking please no 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 this is um so this book is much easier (laughs) where is it here this is brand new um the science of storytelling by will store and it's the best book about creative writing that i've read since stephen king's on writing and it's about I've just made so many people buy it. And it's about psychology and narrative. 
and yeah, basically how every story has to start with a flawed human being and what every story is, is that character becoming a real hero, really, because they are starting to confront this part of themselves that they don't like and they're willing to step into it and grow by the end of a story. And of course you can have narratives like Catcher in the Rye where he deliberately doesn't mm. do that and play with it. But most stories are about, yeah, somebody with... The hero and the villain are inside us all the time, like Star Wars. Basically, sort of. yeah. Which is why that film is so successful because it kind of taps into what storytelling really is, which is the way that human beings tell each other how to be. You know, stories are how we learn how to behave and what it means to be a good person. And stories hold us accountable mm. to the rest of the people that we're with. I suppose that's what I find interesting about kind of counselling and therapy and um, psychological work is there's such a big difference, I think, between the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves and the, the true stories. And we are all unreliable narrators of our own lives. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, we all have like these core negative beliefs about ourselves and then it's like an Instagram filter, but a really rubbish mm. one. Where <laughs> you just collect your life experience like, like, through a filter of nobody loves me pixelated. or I yeah. It's it's interesting when you kind of start looking at negative core beliefs so, which are just stories that you tell yourself and then you kind of collect evidence from your mm. life to prove them right and ignore everything else. So in that book, The Science of Storytelling, does he kind of cite examples from fiction? He does. One thing, he's obsessed with Back to the Future. And ah. every book I've ever read about writing is always uses Back to the Future as an example. I think it just means be the most perfect script ever written. But he cites that a lot. He talks about Gone Girl, actually, ah. and um, why that works so well. Because he talks about hero making, which is how these huge quantum leaps we have to make in our own heads oh. to always make ourselves the hero um so basically we always think that we're right in our heads always and we have to twist and turn ourselves to prove that right because it feels horrible when somebody goes you're mm. wrong because you're like <gasps> when you have to feel ashamed and when you have to regret things and also that the empathy i suppose that we struggle to summon because we're like i'm sorry that that awful thing happened to you but ultimately you're the b-plot aren't you <laughs> Really yeah, exactly. We are the main characters in our own lives, and I think people use the word narcissism a lot at mm. the moment, just not understanding. But that is how psychology works. Obviously, you can take it to extremes where you're, and any degree of anything in excess is problematic and can have a negative impact on people. But we are self obsessed. That's yeah. we are the heroes of our own lives. We're the main characters in our own lives. And, and you have to so, write that into your books. So many of the things that we struggle with, you know, like social media, I don't think that's necessarily on its own the cause of anything that's wrong with us. I think it can only ever be as good or as bad as we are. And it is just the manifestation of us at our very, very best and us at our very worst. And it's born out of something that we naturally want to do. Yeah, exactly. Being able to compare how you're doing socially is inbuilt in us and building tribes mm. and then thinking your tribe is the best and the other tribes aren't as good. That is based in our sort of developmental psychology and our evolution. And yeah, social media kind of really enhances that. I know you do lots of school visits and things, but sort of working from home and writing, whether I find it really hard because I'm not in an office with people who are just being occasionally great and occasionally a bit crap and just sort of, you know, being good and failing and being average. I'm on my own all the time. Then I only see people who are like, oh, I've got another book deal and it's a film deal this week. 
yeah, I think being self-employed is not always great for one's mental health and one's social media usage in a healthy way. Um, sometimes I think being self-employed really does help my mental health because mm. I still remember the like, especially I was writing for five years, but working full-time for five years before I kind of went full-time author. And I still remember just the, the exhaustion of the relentlessness of having to be at the office for this set time and having to leave at a set time and having to do that five days in a row. And then having to write on my commute and on my commute home and in the evenings and in the weekends and it is quite nice sometimes to be like oh I've not slept very well tonight but I can just have a little bit of a lion tomorrow so that's okay whereas when I was full-time I was like this is the end of the world I've not slept like I have to go into work I'm gonna be exhausted oh, but, get but to four o'clock and feel that awful kind of crushing ennui and just be like great I could stop not I've just got to sit here for two hours because I'll get told off yeah, if I don't enforced sitting and pretending but um but then it was better for my mental health in some ways to just be around human beings mm. and not just sat alone in my pajamas sort of hallucinating and writing it down and yeah looking at social media and even though I am very lucky to have a life I have and I am happy I'm quite sure I am but actually after like 15 minutes on Instagram I can feel terrible about myself and also really want to like buy charcoal toothpaste (laughs) (laughs) I don't understand what's happened Um, so what have you got here (laughs) so I can talk you through Um, so basically the books I absolutely love um, make it onto the special shelf and then uh, there's books that I still really love that I keep and then I do throw away a lot of books I'll recycle give them to charity shops so if you're in my house at all it's a win Ah. Um, I'm not I'm very good at letting books go um but this is like the stage um and is that partly because you get sent so many that it's an embarrassment of riches and you feel like you can more will come maybe and it's just sort of I live in a small flat in London like there's just kind of space issues we couldn't even got a place for the hoover to fit so it's trying to be just economical with space but uh, they've kind of those are the books I love and then I've got my it's a killer mockingbird collection that's the shelf that I allowed my boyfriend to have after <laughs> much personal strife from like oh, you're allowed one so that's his special ones I would ask you about a sort of any overlaps there but I've just seen a book that I just read and really loved Big Magic which I was quite yeah. skeptical of and then I just loved it oh I love Elizabeth Gilbert so much like it's just I love everything that she does and Big Magic is a brilliant book when did you read it a couple of years ago, actually. I think it's the moment it came out in paperback, I got it. Um, I try to avoid hardbacks if I can, just because... Reasons of space. <laughs> space, and also just, I have scoliosis. So um, I'm in a lot of back pain a lot of the time in my life. That's just the thing that I have to deal with. And just carrying a hardback around London just is really bad for you. Oh, but God, like, yeah. just having a whole backpack just because you want to... You're too impatient to wait six months for it to go out on paperback. I just tried to keep it because... So I got that at the moment it was out on paperback and then I whizzed through it and felt really fired up. And I can be creative all the time. It's amazing. <laughs> but I love her. She's also on this shelf down here with the No Drama Llama snow globe. Um, that's how classy I am. Is my signed books. So this is my favourite books and then I've also got signed oh, wow. by the author. And she should be there. Yeah, Eat, Pray, Love. Um, so did you meet her? Did you I meet did. That and is scared. a well-thumbed copy of Eat, Pray, so Love. I got it from a charity shop, actually, and it already had somebody write a letter 
to her friends in it in July 10. So, dearest Vanessa, so glad you're in my circle. I am blessed. Wishing you all the love, happiness and serenity you deserve. Love always, Gail. Gail has incredibly neat handwriting. I yeah. like her loopy wise. And also, like, a shit friend. Like, if my friend yeah. got me a copy of a book and wrote a lovely note, no, mm. I wouldn't put it in a charity mm. shop. But so when I met her to get it signed after an event she did when she was nominated for the Welcome Prize, I think, I went to get the signed and then she thought I was Vanessa. And I was like... No, no, no. Did, no. You, did, and then, but did then you tell then, her or did you say? I was like, no, no, it's Holly. And I was like, I do buy all your other books. No, sorry. It's just this one was from a charity shop. And she's like, yeah, for Holly, with all blessings on your own journey. <laughs> Love that woman. Oh, <laughs> oh so let, I'm going to have a deep dive. You're going diving into inside. my sign shelf. Oh, I see one exciting one, which is a Judy Bloom one. <gasps> yeah. Do you meet Judy Bloom? I mean, I saw uh, an event that she did and then... I got my book signed, but the queue was so long. You went on our personal dedica- dedications. I see you've got the, the signing post <laughs> yeah, I have yeah. to tell you. But she was great. Now, Forever comes up on the podcast all the time. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. Less so. And I think this is the first Best that one. I read. And I think this is my favourite. I must, I must, Did I must increase my bust. Yes, never Because I was never, I remember <laughs> reading it and like, is, is, is this what you do? And the sanitary towel belt. Yes. <gasps> I think about this all the time because <laughs> when I was you know my mum was telling me about the you know, periods and you know what to expect and because I think my granny started quite early and my mum started late but she's like I just want you to be aware that you know you're not bleeding to death if it happens early it's it's fine and I was like so when do I get my special belt I'm really excited she's like no there's that's um that time is gone and I was really quite gutted <laughs> because of that book I just thought it's such a great book about the female on female gaze how you just always looking at other girls at that age where puberty hits and some mm. you're so aware of yourself and others and wanting to have achieved all the other stuff that they've got going at the same time her book i think it's called summer sisters and it's yes. adult yeah sexy that one yeah. i was just like whoa judy forever it's just like the amuse bouche <laughs> <laughs> for what you had coming i loved that book I really did. And that's so... I'd not thought about this before, but how... Are You There, Margaret, is like the the gateway for that, you know, developed sense of how women can have this connection. And it's sort of beyond friendship, isn't it? Because you are like constantly, constantly looking at each other and thinking, how are we the same? How are we different? I don't know. Summer Sisters, like, nobody knows that book in this country, but in America, it was like huge. She's like known for Summer Sisters. It's just really odd that it's not had such a huge hit here because it's oh, brilliant. I mean, you're someone who, thrillingly, um, for your many, many fans, you're writing YA books and adult books. I mean, I know that lots of adults, you know, I, I love your YA books. People, you know, they're not for, they're about teenagers, but not, ex- or say explicitly for them, not exclusively for them. But, you know, you wrote hugely successful adult book <laughs> making weary air quotes um I mean did you think about Gigi Bloom when you were doing it as someone who's sort of in those two two worlds or did you just have a story you wanted to tell I actually thought more about Elizabeth Gilbert because oh, um that's where I sort of got the idea from the book was just um because Eat Pray Love and especially her follow-up book Committed which is on the special shelf because it's so good um, which is all to her do with she and has to marry the guy that she meets at the end of Eat, Pray, Love. It's in the, oh. um, and it's she, they had obviously both promised each other that they would never get married ever again. Mm. 
but they have to, otherwise he's going to get deported. And so it's a whole book about long-term love and how to make it last and, you know, does monogamy work and exist? And it's a brilliant book about, we have a sort of psychology of long-term relationships and I loved that book. And then I was really, really thrown when she broke up with oh. him and fell in love with her best friend. Which is fine, but I was also a bit like, but you've written a manual about how to make love last forever. And now you're like dating your friend, which is great. But like, what does that make? Yeah, I thought that you had the blueprint to make it work. And I like was relying on you. If you can make it work, I can. And it just caused me to have such a, my stomach dropped out just because I realised how much I needed her Mm. to be like, love can last forever. This is how and why. It was, and I, I, I'm, you know, was very happy that she was happy. I wasn't upset about that, but it was, and that's what gave me the idea of how do you like me now? This idea that people attach to, especially like self-help memoirists and be like, you know what to do. We can follow you. But everyone's a human being and actually. And the, the way that how do you like me now begins with an ending. And I think that's one of the reasons why I've really, I'm not just saying because yeah, I, I love that book. Obviously, so much of it is about, you know, what we were just talking about, that gap between presented reality, the lies you tell when you're telling a story, you know, the, the truth of it. But especially, I think, a lot of the books that are, as women, we're kind of encouraged to read that are really, you know, explicitly sort of sold to us from, you know, Pride and Prejudice, and, you know, before and after and onwards it's like that's your happy ending the the love bit is that and I adore that I love a good love story I love that you know when you know they're going to get together and it's not what but how and when but you always think that's not for so many of us we have this sort of this life-changing relationship and that's really where that's where everything starts to get interesting the pursuit isn't that interesting really compared with all the other stuff and it's so strange that we're told that the pursuit is the good bit. And that, yeah, once you have that, everything is going to be rosy for mm. you as a woman. And actually, sometimes it could be, especially in like, how do you like me now? It could be, the, you know, the, the breaking of mm. you rather than the making of you. Uh, another book on my special shelf about that was The Female Eunuch by Jermaine Greer, which is on the special shelf. And I know she has said some sketchy stuff. Um, problematic fave, Jermaine <laughs> Greer. Like, I know she has, and I'm not would never say that what she has said since is okay but that book changed my life so positively and that's all to do with the fact that as women you're kind of trained to want to get the guy Mm. and then just how dangerous that can be and there was just so many quotes I remember just that hit home like one of them was like it was better to be a though a woman sat next to her husband sleeping in bed or being ignored while he reads the newspaper is so much lonelier than any spinster in a rented room will ever be. This idea of putting all your worth and your life and your dedication into, like, being the wife, which, I mean, it was written in a different time, and how dangerous that is, really struck with me reading it in... Did you read this as a teenager? No, as I was 25, because I was a real late bloomer in the world of feminism. Because I grew up in an age where, like, pole dancing classes were feminist and, like, lad culture. And... That was so weird, wasn't it? Did you ever read um, Ariel Levy, Female Chauvinist Pigs? Yes. Yes, I love that book. <laughs> but I found it hard. I wanted to read it, but it's hard. Is it what? There's this Female Chauvinist Pigs with the Argonauts. It was Female Chauvinist Pigs was also quite hard. 
Um, and that's also sort of feeling a little bit like you're at school, but it's good for you. Mm. But yeah, I am so embarrassed and ashamed to admit this, but I really, really struggle with a lot of kind of literary fiction because that that dryness and that oh, you it's five pages on a bird in a tree, and I'm, I can't. <laughs> I need yeah. something to happen. You need a story, um, and also historical fiction. I want to love it so much more than I do. And I think a lot of it is, I think some of the stuff that I read, I feel like there's a, a real a focus on detail. And like, oh, I don't need to know how the latrines work in, um, <laughs> in the 16th century. Mm. It's that thing where you want to research things, but the research should never show in the book. Mm. And it's painful because you're like, but I know so much about oil rigs now. But, you know, but it's like, if it's not important to the story. But I, I mean, I'm a unashamedly commercial writer. To me, it's all about the story. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. We'll be back to Holly soon, but now it's time for my Steal of the Week, a book so worth its weight in words that a Hatton Garden jeweller would be nervous about putting it in the window. This week, it's Good Behaviour by Molly Keane, incidentally the first book I ever lent to producer Dale. Teenage Arun is trapped with her neglectful, repressed Anglo-Irish family in a crumbling mansion. She's desperate for love, deluded and self-obsessed. So when she falls for her brother's best friend, she doesn't realise the object of his affections is a little too close to home. This is darkly and uncomfortably funny, elegant, wickedly waspish. Keane's spirit could be the unlikely love child of Martin Amos and Nancy Mitford. It's one of my very favourite books. Good Behaviour by Molly Keane is published by Virago and out now. Now, back to Holly. Do you ever (laughs) give up on books entirely or do you stop reading with the intention of going back? A bit of both. Um, If a book makes me very angry and there's just some things where I just you can't I can't get past some things 
Um, I can't get past uh, female violence, sexual violence being used as a plot device. Just then the book's out the window. Um, not gonna. If a book pisses me off, then no. If a book is... I can't get through a first chapter, then that mm. goes in the charity shop pile. Or I could make a book favours pile. So when people come round, that's on the bottom shelf. You'll see, right, crammed. Not this shelf, this is my to-be-read shelf. But this bottom one. Ah. Um, this is like books where I give them, like, before people leave my house, I'm like, take a book, take a book, take a book. <laughs> uh, so they make it into that pile. But yeah, things like the Argonauts, which I'm enjoying but finding hard. I was a bit like, yeah, I put a bookmark in and I know I will come back to it. So yeah, a bit of both. But I tend to only give up on books if they just, I cannot get so, through them or if they really irritate me i'm looking what are you excited about on your to be read shelf oh, is this book called the sisterhood by daisy it's <laughs> <laughs> out no but i'm really excited to read that like genuinely because like we both come from a family of sisters mm, because of what so. you were saying about Gigi bloom and that thing you know the way women look at each other i'm really curious about what you oh I, i'm i'm like Gigi bloom obviously no but I'd be um, very interested to hear what you think of that I see Adele which I really loved but people didn't um yeah I got that as a birthday present because I loved um the nanny one so Mm. much lullaby and so I am but I've heard it's very filthy but not in a sexy way in a sort of way so I'm intrigued I loved about it was it's quite she's so almost chillingly terrible and I really, really love it when you have a woman that's, you know, there's no attempt made to make her likeable. Um, I mean, obviously, I've only read it in translation, so I don't know how. It's a little bit like with um, the Neapolitan novels, isn't it? Where you feel like, am I missing something still by not being Italian or not being French? But I loved the way, and it's very, 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 very spare, but that... It's, it is the Frenchest thing I've ever read really? in my life. You have such a sense of Paris, even though it's... And again, it's because there's almost no detail about it. It's not like, oh, she's walking down the road with a baguette and she thought she'd stop and have a shack. It's not <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, I should, I should write. <laughs> okay. I'm intrigued. That might be bumped up. And it's also very, very, very quick, which is my favourite. So, do you do you like a, a slim book, or do you like a lot of bang for your buck bookwise? No, I like quite slim books. I'm a really slow reader, um, which is one of the curses of my life because I love reading so much. And also, you need to read so much if you're an author. You get sent books, mm. and people want you to blurb them. And it's an incredible thing to blurb a book. I've been so grateful for people who've done it to me in the past, and so you want to be able to pa- pay it forward. Yeah. But I'm always about nine months behind and and it's just awful because I'm just never quite... I think it probably takes me about three weeks to read a book and That's I read every day. Pretty pretty quick though, I think. In books, what are your favourite and least favourite depictions of, of motherhood? And there any um, mothers that you've read where you think, or parents, where you love what they do? Um because I like I have to read a lot of have to I enjoy reading a lot of teen fiction um mm. because it's the genre that I write alongside adult and um so parents are always in those books quite yeah. a lot but they're it's from a very teenage you know with the teenagers experience of the parents so they mm. usually are just these annoying people who just get in the way of the story stop you, you from doing what you want to do 
In terms of adult fiction, I'm trying to think what I've read recently that's got much mothers in. I'm reading. I'm interested in in teenage books. I really loved the way that Louise Renison wrote Families, and I think it's Georgia and her dad especially, but you know the sisters and her mum and and everything. And there seemed to be so much compassion and tenderness there with all the chaos and fury. I love that. And I love how like mean she is about him going away to New Zealand. Mm. And she's just like, Georgia's just like, oh, I'm not going to miss you at all. <laughs> but then actually does get quite sad and turns up at his office going, send him back. So I love the family dynamic in um, the Georgia Nicholson books. Just those to me are just the best teen fiction series ever. Like, they're just so funny and so celebratory of teenage girls and what they're mm. like, truly. There was nothing about those books and the teenage girl experience it didn't ring massively true like just how crazy they are and the weird games that you play and just how obsessed you are with boys and I know that ideally we don't want teenage girls to be obsessed with boys but you kind of got to accept the fact that that is something that's going on and what I love so much is that they were obsessed with boys but they were obsessed with so many other things too and that kind of the energy of it and that they weren't being obsessed didn't make them any less kind of lively or funny or quick or sharp. But what's I think we talked about this before, but that amazing line of um, you said about someone tells Georgia or Georgia says about boys not wanting girls for funniness or something mm-hmm. and that being proved wrong time and time again. Yeah, that's my favourite thing about the book. I don't think I would be the person I was if it wasn't for reading those books or any teenager because I have always been somebody who goes for the laugh, um, whether or not. Like, I'm funny enough to try doing that. Like, I still just can't help myself. I'm always oh. looking for the joke. And just I think sort of... you absolutely are. And oh. I think that's a, it's a writer thing as well, isn't it, when you hear it? Because you're always thinking, what would make this absurd? <laughs> what yeah. would be inappropriate? And that's what I was like as a teenager. You just sort of, every, like, I've always had a inability to handle facades mm. um, and coolness and all that sort of stuff. It just really irks me because I'm just a bit like oh life just come on let's just be silly like we're all like don't really know what we're doing like let's just embrace that that makes me feel safe and did you fun. ever have a period of consciously trying to be cool because I think definitely. everyone has a go definitely um especially like at sixth form college I got in with a group of people really into heavy metal music and everyone like understood tried to understand Megadeth for two years and I look back and I'm like did you have hoodies oh yeah I had the hoodies and like the pentagram necklace and like <laughs> my friend actually won a competition in Kerrang magazine to re- meet Metallica and like bought me with her and so like I met Metallica and I remember all the time like thinking I can't wait to tell people about this because it means I'm cool rather than like you know secretly I was just still listening to like Richard Blackwood getting with Wicked you know and then my friends would come on and be like yes like what's that Matano and I'm like yeah what 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 what?" getting with Wicked the moment they've left (laughs) you read I think this has come up on the podcast before um Louise Mensch, then Bagshaw and her book I think it's Career Girls because she was in real life involved with and maybe married Metallica's manager and it's these oh my it's gloriously trashy it's weird how much knowledge I still retain from those two years where I yeah just was and even then I wasn't that cool like even my friends would like start dating the guys in bands and like go on dates with them but I would like come along too but like was like would draw on a false moustache with eyeliner just some people like what are you doing I'm like ah <laughs> just like just such a loser even when I was hanging out with Corbyn and I'm like why don't the boys bad to me it's like you've drawn on a false moustache and I'm like why not like 
Um, yeah, I, that's yeah, coolness still. I struggle with it. It's all. I think you'll, you'll probably be the same. You're a writer. You want to get to the authenticity, like the story of what somebody really is, rather mm. than the story that they're telling you. Definitely. You know, you can tell if it's people are true to themselves. And I think that gap is fascinating between what people present and who people are actually are. And the wider the gap is, the more compelling and, and the more curious it makes me. But I, I just can't stop thinking about you with your eyeliner stuff. You're like, hey, Metallica forever. You talked about um, Eat, Pray, Love and the heartbreak of, um, you know, how Elizabeth Gilbert's heartbreak became your own heartbreak, which I understand. In in fiction, what are your favourite romances? And is that something that sort of changed over time as you've learned more about the world? My favourite romances to read, and I love romances, I'm very cynical about romance and yet also love them at the same time like one of my teen books it only happens in the movies it's that kind of examining that mm. gap it's like an ode to romance films and it's also deconstructing them at the same time because I do love them but to me the real romance is a couples who are mates like good mates and who take the piss out of each other have good like banter so like Dexter and Emma from One Day yes. by David Nichols you just like you know they're just there the, the way that they relate to each other and even um Me Before You mm. um that book just destroyed me. When yeah. they finally get together or don't, like that's what really gets to me rather than like, there's a huge thing in the way that doesn't bother me so much. Mm. I'm like, I really like couples who you know are just going to be great mates and be able to laugh mm. when life gets hard after the like happily ever after. They are your friends and you can really enjoy spending time with them in that book and in that moment. And something that I think that David Nichols does brilliantly that I think about a lot is he's so good on when people are genuinely, genuinely funny together and they're really entertaining and when they are just trying. And I think he's so good on Emma and the difference between kind of when she is with her girlfriend sometimes and being just unselfconsciously hilarious and then at the beginning and she's trying to kind of impress Dexter and she's trying to do like banter and it's just not coming off his ability to get into the female brain as a male writer I find fascinating because I don't like to generalize because there are exceptions like him but I do find lots of male written female characters just to me I'm like this woman isn't real Mm. like Oh, fucking, um, what's this? He's really famous, so I feel like I'm allowed to, like, criticise him. with Atonement guy, Ian McEwen. Oh, just his women, I'm just like, they're not real. And everyone's like, this book is a masterpiece. And I'm like, it is, apart from the fact that I just do not know any female who would have that thought pattern whatsoever. Yes. And that, like, just... And it's that, and, like, fine, fine, high-quality literary fiction. Like, no, somebody's been looking at the sky for 8,000 words, <laughs> like, tracking a cloud, yeah, come on. it's just not real. Or it's, like, David Nichols or somewhere, I'm just like, how does he know that we have those thoughts? You know, that's so... He's really incredible at that. So, so I, I like that a lot. I also just have a, a massive weakness for, like, hot silent farmers Ooh. <laughs> like mr oak from far from the manning crowd ah. like when he's like aborting all those sheep or whatever it is like, <laughs> punk- no he's not aborting them is he <laughs> what is it like one of the sheep they all eat this grass and like their stomachs inflate and they're all gonna die like and she's gonna lose the sheep so- and he like gets like a, like silently without even saying i'm here for you he's just like 
punctures all the sheep's stomachs and releases his gas. And I'm just like, this is the most erotic thing. And then just doesn't say anything. You're farting sheep. (laughs) Just like a man who like will puncture a sheep's stomach for me and help me like cover up the hay bell before the storm. I'm like, yes, don't get it. Like, don't get it. Um, But yeah, hot farmers, like, but silent ones, not chatty farmers. They're just the kind of, you're just struggling with I don't know hoeing something and then they just turn up uh, This Charming Man by Marion Keys I love that book and I'm so obsessed with the love story with Lola I love that she's taken that idea of something that has quite a lot of appeal and then just flips it completely she's great This Charming Man is one of the best books about domestic violence I've ever read in my life like whenever anyone calls Marion Keys chiclet I want to explode and not I know lots of people reclaim that and all that you know and I'm happy to hear either side of the argument but I'm just like one of the best books about domestic violence like I study domestic violence a lot when I worked in my charity work it's just incredible like her books are so dark and she gets it and she writes with such truthfulness and then people call it chiclet I'm like I've never read anything better than this charming man she writes so beautifully and I honestly think I think she is a million times more talented than Ian McEwan um I might get into so much trouble for saying that but I truly believe it but equally I think there is a huge huge argument for the fact that she is a writer and that label means that people who might not want to read something literary feel that they can access her books on a totally unrelated topic I've just seen um David Starris and Jane Didion who are both Americans, very different writers, both, but very... Both my boyfriends, actually. Have you read either of them? No, he keeps telling me to. Um, <laughs> so I will get there. Um, he loves David Sedaris. Um, and Joan Didion, he, like, read, like, loads of her in one go when we were over in America. Um, so I, I will do, but those are some of his. It's the problem with having to, like, combine bookshelves. What did you have to get rid of any books that were hard to get rid of when you moved here yeah combining bookshelves was a process <laughs> and it will say like how to display them um he's not such a fan of the color coordination oh, i was gonna ask that was that. yeah me kind of forcing my basic onto him um but i think it looks nice i think otherwise bookshelves look a bit messy and i quite like it but yeah i guess it is very instagram but it is a way of finding things, I think. As long as you can remember what colour it is. And so many booksellers come in and like say that the customers come in and be like, I don't know what it's called or who it's by, but it's green. <laughs> like, I think that is, you do remember the colour of a front cover quite often. Uh, but yeah, I definitely did a big clear out. Uh, but there are still loads and loads and loads left at my mum and dad's house. I've just never quite fully moved out of home in terms of my book collection. In my old room, there's still just shelves and shelves. And one day I'll have to confront that. But, um, I think that's uh, people our age, you know, who sort of lived in London in these kind of tiny, tiny places. You know, we're, that's our curse, isn't it? We always have sort of one one foot back there. Yeah, just in terms of storage. Yeah. What books would we find in your teenage bedroom? They've got all my Louise Renison are still there. Oh. So I've got every single Louise Renison. How many did she write? I think it came to eight or nine in the end. Yeah, because there's all some, like, knocked out by my boy entrances and... What else? And then it fell off in my hand was one, which I think is one of the best titles <laughs> ever. Away laughing on a fast camel. 
Um, what other teen books do I have there? They're in the other Gigi Blooms. Yeah, all the Judy Blooms, and they're all like my signed one, like the proper old from the 80s, you know. <laughs> um, Slightly, everyone's got weird kind of faces. I keep mentioning this in the podcast as well. I've read five books, not Anna Karenina. Um, <laughs> there's a, but did you read, uh, producer Dale got it for me for Christmas, Paperback Crush, it's like a history of YA writing in the 80s and 90s, no, I think. But I, I will, I need to like buy 10 copies and send them to people. I was really into this author called Kate Kahn, C A N N who wrote really good YA before YA was a thing. It had things like um, Hard Cash and one called Footloose, which was about a group of girls going on a holiday to Greece for a month. Like, and so it always had a little bit of sex in them. Did she um, write a book about a girl who was a really good swimmer? Yes. And she fell in love with a rich boy and, and he like was putting a lot of pressure on her to have sex. sex. Yes, that's Kate Kahn. She was oh, amazing. Yeah. Oh, her books are so good. Yeah, In Too Deep or Into mm. the Deep or something to do with swimming metaphors. Yeah, and he kind of kept pressurising her oh. to have sex. Like, that was YA at its best before YA was a thing. Because it was really grown up. I remember thinking, reading it at the school library and just feeling like her tone was very, kind of like she sort of got it. And she was just, it was, she was so interesting on the sort of idea of class as well. Yeah, there was always, yeah, because the Hard Cash series was about a guy called Richie, maybe, who was very poor but fancied this posh girl called Portia or something. But he managed to get a job doing graphic design alongside his exams and then suddenly had loads of money and therefore could, like, buy the shirt that made Portia, like, want to have sex with him. And it was all to do with, like, that class. Yeah, she was great. So she's all in my house. My Kate Kahn collection. I've got everything she ever wrote. Oh, can I borrow them? Yeah. And then I'm trying to think, they're a bit younger, but one of my favourite kind of late middle grade, early teen books was called Walk Two Moons. I was obsessed with it. It's like about some woman who's, a girl whose mother died and her just trying to get through it. And it's absolutely amazing. It's very big in America. I think my dad's American. So um, sometimes my teen fiction is from over there. Books are like huge over there. Because they, American YA is just, Something else, I guess, because America's just enormous. But that really seemed like all the first YA books I read were American because that was what there was, yeah, I think. Exactly. So did you grow up in America? No, no, no. I've lived here my whole life. Um, it's just my dad fell in love with my mum and came over and stayed 45 years later. He's you know, still loving it. He's a, he's a real Anglophile and always has been. So, um, But yeah, we go over to visit family there a lot. And so, yeah, I used to always, because I was like a book geek as almost every author I know was as a child like to me the best thing ever about my summer holidays when I went to see family was going to Barnes and Noble and like getting some American book there was one called Go Ask Alice <gasps> yes I the big 70s Ameri- drug yeah, one that wasn't that available in English shops but I bought it in American and like gave it to everybody you know the, the drug <gasps> you're book. like the pusher the pusher yeah, of the, the drug pusher. book <laughs> And yeah, Go Ask Alice, I got that in a Barnes and Noble when I was like 11 on holiday. Because that's one of those books as well where, you know, if you are very into a lot of American culture, lots of things will be referred to like TV shows or foods. And I have no idea what that is, but you work it out by context. And Go Ask Alice is a real kind of, it's almost like a, a meme or a, you know, there's a certain sort of, other book or you know that will reference that and then I think it comes up quite a lot do you read um I read The Cut all the time like New York magazine and um those writers are very sort of savvy to it but I don't think I've ever actually read it go ask Alice yeah and it's one of those now you, you can said borrow it, I that will. along with yeah okay can't and it's always that thing where it, it's a diary that they found or mm. is it and you don't know and that drives me crazy it's like the Blair Witch Project I'm like don't wind me up mm. 
Like, if there's, like, some crazy witch that does that to people, like... Well, that comes I need up to know. Paperback Crushed, I think they write about the origin of it and how it's like, oh, this scandalous diary, and it was this sort of kind of someone who was a wee bit um, E.L. Jamesy, I think, making up something very, very sensational, just okay. out of her own and then that sort of reefer madness, like, the kids are all not all right. I wonder how many times you can get away with this is a true story, like... As a marketing thing, you can only really do it once every, like, 15 years. I think they've done it since Blair Witch. Um, what are all these little books? Oh, they, um... Are chocolates. Ooh. So I did a school visit earlier this year, and basically what you need to know about life is that school librarians are the awesomest creatures in the entire universe. And every time I go into a school, meet a school librarian, I'm like, you're amazing. And she made these little tiny chocolates... Out of, of my books. books, one of each book at St Peter's School, and so I kind of yeah, I've got the I've got my narcissist shelf, oh, that um, is which is just so the lovely. books that I've got published because you know I'm proud of it. Oh, I am. It's amazing. <laughs> uh, there are these little chocolates to go with it, which is cute, and on my clown one that I got. <laughs> oh, sorry, I should have warned you. Sorry. <laughs> But, um, I got that because there's a clown horn in What's a Girl Gotta Do? She like honks a clown horn if she sees sexism. <laughs> and so somebody got me a clown, actual clown horn, which is one of my most prized possessions in my life. Do you have very, very intense fans? I do. But I think most teenage writers do. My adult book has... I'm really happy with how it's gone and how it seems to have really touched people and seems to have got lots of people to leave their bad relationships. But like... It's not like the intensity I get from my teen readers, which is incredible and amazing, but quite yet yeah, intense. Um, because I think at that age, you feel things so strongly. Yeah. And if you feel like somebody understands you um, or you see yourself in a book, it, it's hugely powerful. Um, and it's amazing. It's just, it, it always blows me away. Whenever I go into a school or get an email or an Instagram message, it's like, it's, it's, it's very overwhelming. Like writing for teenagers is the best thing ever because they're so hard to win over but if you can manage it you're just yeah it's great and I just think teenagers need books they need stories to make them make sense of what's going on who else your readers are reading when you go into school do you get a sense of the other writers that they love are they reading Go Ask Alice you'll there be like (laughs) come here children I've got something for you like like, like, lots of them are really into fantasy but I don't read a lot of fantasy uh trying to think lots of them still do read like Judy Bloom, and they still read Georgia Nicholson which makes me really happy yeah I'm like yeah um they're really big fans of my friend Holly Smale who wrote the Geek Girl series so that's always fun I'm like I know her she's my friend (laughs) (laughs) And they are really into The Hate You Give at the moment. They love Angie Angie Thomas. Thomas. Yeah, you get a good variety. But they're all still reading Adrian Mole too, which is nice to know. Oh, that's really lovely. Because that's so interesting as well, because that's not really a teen book, but it's the teeniest of teen books. Yeah. Well, I I don't think they read the ones where he's like 40. (laughs) And that's what I love about YA. It's just those are written in the 80s and the universalness of teenage experience like even with the internet and social media and all these things like teenagers actually can connect to a boy who's measuring his penis with a ruler (laughs) and painting his room black I I just picked up a bit of um Adrian Mill might be in the the growing paper just seen it on on the shelf shelf. and it's the bit about their being socialist rebels and they're all going into wear red socks and yeah. at school they're banned from doing it and they're like we're going to protest we're all going to wear them anyway and then they decide they're going to be rebels in secret and just wear 
socialist red socks under yes. other socks and then they give up because it makes their shoes too tight <laughs> love it i love it adrian mole is just comedic brilliant Sue townsend is one of the funniest writers who has ever lived any time in any language just just the name adrian mole what a name for a character it's just that is hard do to you top find it do you know do the names of your characters come to you very quickly or does it sometimes take a while have you ever changed their names halfway through yeah i'm really unsentimental about like my characters names i never really have their name and like the first thing i start writing a book i'm like oh bollocks i need a name and then i just google what the popular the baby names were for that year like for how old they'll be and like just put one down on the list and sometimes like one of my like they needed to change the made character's name and it only happens in movies away from something and which is so i was like oh, i'll just call him harry <laughs> and they're like you sure you don't mind i'm like yeah and like but i'm the only author i know who's that floozy everyone else is like oh, it took me forever to find a name and I can't write it until a name. And I'm just like, sometimes I just call them like blah. And eventually I'm like, oh, maybe they'll just be called Olive. Cool, yeah, that will do. Um, I like Olive. I feel like that's a nice homage to Georgia Nicholson. Exactly. <laughs> I've worked on Brian. <laughs> like nobody's called Brian, but they, that's my default male name. There's just not that many male names either. No, that you can, unless you're, I don't know. If it is anything too memorable, it's almost kind of off-putting, isn't it? character called Alfonso is going to do and not do some quite specific stuff. Exactly. Yeah, so just call him Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Huge thanks to Holly. Follow her and share your love at hollyballmaye on Instagram and at holly underscore on Twitter. And you must read How Do You Like Me Now? If you like Atessa Moshveg and Sally Rooney, it's the book for you. I'm Daisy Buchanan, and I've been your book inspector. Thank you so much for joining me, Shelf Obsessives. You can find me on Twitter at NotRollerGirl and on Instagram at the Daisy B. Say hello, suggest some guests, and watch out for shelfies. Visit our show page, acast.com slash booked, for more information about our guest and a list of the books they've talked about. If you have any other queries about the podcast, email whybooked at gmail.com. Your Booked is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast. Please do subscribe, rate us and leave a review. It's great to hear what you think and it helps other people find the podcast. I'll see you next time. For now, I leave you with the words of Ruth Rendell. Some say life is the thing, but I prefer reading. Selling a little? Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. 
Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. 